Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 24 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us by the campfire in our first episode of 2023. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty good. The holidays were pretty enjoyable. We got some snow here in my area of Ohio just in time for Christmas. I had a great time with family, and I added a couple more video games to my gaming collection. I can't ask for much more than that. Our canine companions had a pretty good holiday as well. Our Wildlands Expedition Leader Dee Dee and Second-in-Command Dexter have been pretty flush with treats that Santa wrapped and left under the tree. It was negative three degrees Fahrenheit one day over the holidays, and it was pretty tough on them when they needed to go outside, but at least they had their treats to kind of keep them warm. However, since the weather in Ohio loses its mind every now and then, we got to enjoy a day of 50-plus degree temperatures and took them for a pretty lengthy walk one day. Anyways, all that to say, Happy New Year to you and yours, and here's hoping 2023 treats you all well. On today's episode, we're checking out a game for the Nintendo that I've always wanted to jump into, but just never took that leap. I had always heard about how hard this game was, and other than Super Mario games, I am not much of a platformer, so I kept putting it on the back burner. But something told me that it was time to give this one a go. I heard some of the game's music a little while back, and that finally it pushed me over the edge. It was time to check out Batman for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Of all the characters in pop culture, I've always had this special appreciation for Batman. My first real exposure to the character was from the Batman animated series that was out in the early 90s. The show itself got pretty dark and gritty at times, and the mature storylines really hooked me. I liked watching cartoons that weren't really cartoons, if that makes any sense. Batman's story just resonated with me, even when I was a kid. He wasn't just some crime fighter out to save the day and be on his way. Under the cape and cowl, there was a real man, and that man carried with him a sense of justice, but also shouldered a lot of inner pain. I found it fascinating to watch, and before long, I was pretty into Batman. I found his struggles interesting, I appreciated how human he felt, and just how real he could be. A lot of that was due to the amazing voice acting performance of Kevin Conroy. Kevin unfortunately passed away on November 10th this past year, as I'm sure a majority of us know by now. I don't think I knew how much I appreciated Batman as a character until Kevin's unfortunate passing. As the world grieved, I thought back to all the times I spent with the Cape Crusader and the memories that I had. I count myself very fortunate to have some of the memories and experiences I did with not just Conroy's Batman, but all the iterations of the character. When it comes to Batman video games, I actually can't think of a single one that I've played growing up. I haven't even played any of the Arkham series. Wow, that sounds really bad now that I say that out loud. But it's okay. That's half of the reason why we do what we do here in the Retro Wildlands. It's long past time for me to discover some of these video games, and it only seems fitting that I start with one of the best Batman games on offer. 
All I've ever heard is how amazing Batman on the NES is. The soundtrack is awesome, the gameplay is solid, and it's considered one of the best Batman games of all time. So how was my first experience with this one? Well, settle in, friend. I'm going to regale you with all of that in just a little bit. But before we get to the episode itself, I like to take some time in the beginning of each show to give everyone a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. I use this time to give you all an idea of what it is that I'm working on over here, what games I'm potentially playing for future episodes, or just blab about whatever else I feel like talking about. If none of this sounds interesting to you and you just want to get to the Batman talk, no worries, you can skip ahead about five to seven minutes and you should be there. There's also timestamps in the show description so you know exactly where you need to go. But feel free to stick around. I'll try not to take up too much of your time and we'll talk about some video games at the very least. So, if you caught the intro to our last episode of the Retro Wildlands, I mentioned that my focus in the coming year for the show is going to continue to be on producing quality shows and finding ways to increase our download numbers. I think for the most part, I'm pretty happy with the structure of each episode for now and found a pretty good cadence for how I prepare each episode. But this year, I want to focus on getting the Retro Wildlands into more people's earholes, and I've already started to work on a few things. For those who have listened to the very first couple episodes of the show, I mentioned I have a YouTube channel that I wanted to use to upload some game reviews to. And while I certainly want to do that, making those sorts of videos the way that I want to is incredibly time-consuming for me right now, so I had to deprioritize that. However, I decided to start uploading episodes of the podcast to my YouTube channel. This way, you all have another way to take in the show, and it can potentially be seen by a new group of people. As of the airing of the show, only episode 1 and 2 are uploaded, but I'll slowly put more up as we go. You can check out our YouTube channel by searching The Retro Wildlands. I didn't want to just upload the audio next to a still image, so I've been making videos in such a way that several hundred shots of my gameplay cycle through as you listen. It's been pretty time-consuming to make a video like this, and rendering the video takes a stupidly long time, but I think they've turned out pretty cool-looking so far. So check us out on YouTube if that's something that interests you. I also have my one and only game review uploaded there as well on Parasite Eve if you wanted to check that out at all. Now, as far as the podcast itself goes, if you like the Retro Wildlands and want to support the show at all and help increase its reach, please consider subscribing to it on whatever podcasting platform you use. And if you're able to do so, I'd really appreciate a good review on your podcasting platform if it lets you do that. Good reviews help circulate the podcast and get us noticed, so if you had the time, that would really be awesome. There's absolutely no obligation, though. I don't really like being that guy that asks for anything, and it's very possible that the show sucks and doesn't deserve any good reviews, and that's fine, too. Really. If you're listening to the show in any capacity, that's more than I could ask for. So other than getting the podcast up over on YouTube, it's been pretty much business as usual over here in my neck of the woods. Game-wise, I've been slowly chipping away at Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion on my PlayStation 4. I decided I'm going to get the Platinum Trophy for this game, and I'm making some decent progress. I forgot how much in this game is actually missable if you don't do things at the right time or in a certain order. 
This game has 300 bite-sized missions that you can partake in, and I remembered that a handful of them only open up if you talk to certain characters within the game world. Thankfully, I realized this early on, but I would have been pissed if I had to play this game through again just to mop up a few missions I missed because I didn't talk to that one little kid in the corner of the slums that one chance I got. Not that I wouldn't have fun playing through this game again, it's just that I 100% completed this game a few times on the original PlayStation Portable version, and I just have way too many other games to play to get sucked back into this amazing game a second time. That said, for anyone looking to maximize their time when it comes to completing Crisis Core, don't be afraid to look up a guide online. There's plenty of spoiler-free guides out there to help you keep track of everything you need to do in each chapter of the game. I know everyone has different stances on using guides while you game, but I think Crisis Core is a game that can actually benefit the player by having them follow one. There's a decent amount of little story-related things that you might miss, and what fan of Final Fantasy VII wants that? Once I do complete Crisis Core Reunion, I'm thinking of making a podcast episode about it that'll specifically highlight the changes and improvements the new version makes over the old. Sort of a way to showcase the differences and give you all an idea of how this game plays versus the original. I've already done an in-depth show on the original back on episode 20 if you're interested, so this new one would potentially just focus on the gameplay and visual improvements. I've been meaning to start working in some more modern games into the show, and I figure this would be a good place to start. Does that sound like something you might be interested in? Feel free to let me know. You can reach out to me over on our social media platforms. Currently, you can find us over on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter if you search at RetroWildlands. I'm pretty good about keeping an eye on social, so if you wanted to interact with the show at all, or message me directly, this is the best way. Right now, I'm about halfway through a 30-day video game challenge that I came across where I've been posting things like my favorite opening section of a game, earliest video game memory, best musical moments, that sort of stuff. Those sort of things I usually find kind of dumb, but this one's been pretty fun to do. It's invoked some pretty good conversations with others, and I think that's been my favorite part. So if you wanted to get in on that, that's a little something that I'm doing. So feel free to jump on our socials and throw us a follow. I'll try to follow you back, and then we can be internet pals. As far as other games that I'm playing, I've been messing around with Castlevania 3 on the original Nintendo, and I've been liking that one quite a bit. I decided to skip over the second game in the series since I hadn't heard too much good about it. However, I still want to dive into it at some point. Originally, I didn't want to cover it on the show if it wasn't a game that I thought people would want to hear about, but after our Lion King episode, I figured every game should have its chance. So I may still go back to this one and try it out. What about you, dear listener? Any interest in Castlevania 2 for the show? Or did I make the right move by skipping over it entirely? Feel free to let me know. You're the one coming to the campfire to hear me tell stories, so you tell me what you want to hear. Beyond Castlevania 3, I played through Metal Slug 3 on my PlayStation Vita of all platforms. It was my very first Metal Slug game, and wow, this game was pretty intense. 
It's a side-scrolling run-and-gun where you're fighting regular human enemies, but I eventually found myself fighting human-sized crustaceans, zombies, and even aliens. Not at all what I was expecting. The game series itself first appeared in arcades, if I'm not mistaken. I used to love trying to play it, but I never got very far any time I did. I played a lot of Metal Slug 3 on my Vita at my sister-in-law's house on New Year's Eve this year, and ended up beating it. I'm still processing everything this game had to offer, but I had a pretty good time with this one, all things considered. If you follow us on social media, you may have caught that I came across a pretty clean copy of the Simpsons game for the PlayStation 2. On episode 10 of the Retro Wildlands, I covered the Simpsons arcade game and had my 12-year-old stepdaughter on the show with me. She's a self-proclaimed Simpsons expert, so I thought it would be pretty cool to have her play another Simpsons game with me and we'd make another episode of the show about it. Her and I played a couple hours of the Simpsons game on my PS2 and our feelings are mixed about it so far. I will say, it's been pretty fun playing split-screen together and trying to figure out some of the game's platforming puzzles together. I don't know when it will be that we'll finish it and record a show about it, but that's something coming down the line at some point. Lastly, and for no other reason than just because, I decided to toss Devil May Cry into my PlayStation 2 and I spent a few minutes with it. I've had this game since I was little and played the hell out of it. I never got into the series as a whole, only playing Devil May Cry 4 beyond this one, but something about it drew my attention when I was looking at my PS2 library the other day. I literally only played the opening level of the game, but now that I've tasted the sweet, sweet flavor of stylized demon slaying again, I'm probably going to go back and play through this one soon. I was never so good that I could beat the game on the more punishing difficulty levels, but I had a great time playing through this game on the normal and hard settings. I always found it fascinating that this game originally started its development as Resident Evil 4 before Shinji Mikami convinced the development team to take this game in its own direction. Alright, I think that's all the rambling I feel like doing this week. It's time to get to the reason that you've all tuned in today. It's time to talk about Batman for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Released on February 13th, 1990 here in North America, Batman the Video Game was very loosely based on the 1989 film of the same name. The one starring Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as the Joker. In this game, we take control of the Cape Crusader and our mission is to find the Joker and teach him the true meaning of justice. There's going to be plenty of opposition standing in our way, but we can't let that stop us. Gotham City needs us, and we're going to have to use every move, trick, and utility at our disposal to see the city safe once again. So suit up, Wildlanders, strap on your utility belts, grab a few batarangs, and make sure that your cape and cowl fit comfortably. It's time to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. I 
have no idea how many video games have been made since the beginning of time. Millions, probably billions, if you count everything like mobile games, indie games, and all the junk shovelware games out there. When you think of it like this, it really speaks to those games that stand out against all the rest. You'll always have your Super Mario's, Legend of Zelda's, Final Fantasy's, Tetris, E's, but there are plenty of games that I argue reach the same levels of greatness, if not more so. But what is it that sets those games so high amongst other games? When it comes to older retro games, I argue it's mostly the actual gameplay experience. Experiences that are so unique and so fun. The type of experience that you hear about from your friends. Batman, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, is one such game. When I was growing up, I had a Nintendo over at my grandmother's house and was fortunate enough to play some games over there. Unfortunately, Batman was not one of them. As I grew up and more so when I started diving into retro games that I missed, Batman would come up time and time again. It was heavily praised for its platforming gameplay and considered to have one of the best soundtracks on the Nintendo, hell, in video game soundtrack history. But it was also considered to be a pretty challenging game, and a few years ago, I really didn't have the right respect I needed for some of the harder retro games out there. So despite all the praise I kept hearing about this game, I kept putting Batman on the back burner. On the bat burner? <laughs> back burner. And if there's anything I've learned so far in my retro gaming journey, it's that I need to stop that nonsense and jump right into a game instead of worrying if I'm going to like it or not based on the game's difficulty. And besides that, Batman is a pretty awesome character as a whole. I mentioned in the intro to this episode that Batman is one of my favorite pop culture icons, and I really like the character as a whole. A lot of what I learned about Batman came more so from the animated series on TV in the early 90s than any of the comic books. But for as popular a character as Batman is, even nowadays, there aren't too many people out there who don't know who Batman is, and who don't know his tragic backstory. He's a superhero without any real superpowers, but he's strong, incredibly smart, and always seems to be a step ahead of everybody else. Up to this point, Batman has been in multiple video games, live-action and animated movie adaptations, books, and multiple types of other media. He's been portrayed by multiple actors in film, and voiced by the incredible Kevin Conroy in many cartoons and games. And while each medium has their own subtle interpretations of the Dark Knight, who Batman is, where he came from, and what he stands for never change. Over 30 years ago, the movie Batman, starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, was unleashed upon the world in spectacular fashion. It's been a very long time since I've seen this movie, but I think Tim Burton did a good job with this one, even if the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson, shined a bit more on screen than Batman himself, in my opinion. Regardless of the movie's performance, it only seemed natural to have a video game developed that would play off the movie's release. And thus, Batman for the NES was born. While the Batman video game took inspiration from the movie, it's really its own experience and makes its own identity. This is also true of the game's amazing soundtrack, which, to my knowledge, shares no musical similarities to the movie itself. 
So what is it about this game that propels it to the top of many a retro gamer's list of must-play games? Let's unmask this video game vigilante and see what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? Batman for the Nintendo is a side-scrolling platformer where we take control of the Dark Knight himself. While its visual representation is that of the 1989 movie, the game itself loosely follows events of the film. In the game, the citizens of Gotham City are in the middle of planning the city's 200th annual festival. The problem, though, is that crime and rampant violence have overtaken the city. While there are crooks and criminals running amok all across the city, it's the villain known as the Joker that truly holds Gotham City in his clutches. Only Batman can save the city and cast out crime once and for all. That right there is the whole plot of the video game, which I paraphrased from the instruction manual. And that's all it needs to be. Just give me my objective, and in this case, it's beating the shit out of some criminals, finding the Joker, and stopping him once and for all. Simple, done, doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. The game itself takes place over the span of five stages. We're going to be making our way through Gotham City itself, move through the Joker's hideout, the Axis Chemical Factory, head into the sewer system of Gotham City, find another one of the Joker's hideouts in the laboratory ruins, and finally catch up to the madman himself in the Gotham City Cathedral. In typical video game fashion, levels become increasingly more difficult as we go. I argue that the first two stages aren't too difficult and give the player an opportunity to master the game's mechanics. But once you hit stage three and onwards, the difficulty turns up and you're really going to have to commit in order to see the Joker defeated. The game's presentation is fairly well done, capturing the dark and gritty tone of the movie, but also Gotham City as we know it from the comics. The visual look of the stages themselves and the backgrounds are designed really well. There's plenty of games that'll make their backgrounds just completely black or put black over top everything when trying to emphasize a dark theme or nighttime, but the best way I can describe the graphical design here is that it looks like the backgrounds were covered in black first, then the developers put the assets over top of them. Edges of buildings sort of fade into the darkness, and other aspects of the stage have a more natural darkness to them, instead of someone just splashing black on top of something that was once colorful. If that even makes sense, I don't know if I'm even saying any of this right from a graphical perspective. The buildings in the first stage of the game aren't just there, their edges are wrapped in darker colors and fade into the black background, and really give you a sensation of fighting at night. Interior locations use graphical effects like this, and while you aren't outside anymore, that dark tone of the game still persists. For a game this old, that's pretty damn impressive, I have to say. Batman himself looks great, which is good since he's the thing that you're going to be keeping your eyes on for most of the game. He's more of a purple color than he is his iconic black, but I have to assume that's due to how dark a lot of the backgrounds are. You certainly don't want to lose track of Batman and all the dark chaos. As far as his actual design goes, it really does look good. What I like most about Batman's design is his cape. His cape will actually move around a little in some subtle ways. Obviously, it'll move around as he's running forward and it'll float up a little bit when you're jumping or falling, 
But when you stand still, Batman's cape will move a little bit, as if the wind is blowing it a bit. You'll also see some of these movements when you stand up from a crouch. It's an absolutely needless addition, but shows just how much care went into the presentation. It really helps bring video game Batman to life. Batman's movements are animated silky smooth too. We'll get into some of Batman's abilities a little later, but he really looks good when he's punching, using some of his weapons, and especially when he's wall climbing. There's a certain weight and heft behind all the actions you take, and this is largely due to how each thing in the game is animated. Punching a guy right in the jaw is just so incredibly satisfying. Beyond the visual presentation, Batman's soundtrack is top tier. If you're into old retro tunes in any capacity, you've probably at least heard the music for the game's opening level. I have absolutely no idea what it is that actually goes into making music for the original Nintendo, but I feel like the tunes that are pumping out of this game had to have had a lot of work put into them. They aren't just your standard one-dimensional boops and bleeps. This is the kind of soundtrack that pulls you in and fires you up as you're making your way through the game's five stages. All told, I don't think there's any more than ten musical tracks in the entire game, but every single one of them is done very well, and they're all memorable. You can't say that about a lot of gaming soundtracks back then, or hell, even nowadays. I would actually go so far as to say that if not for the soundtrack to this game, I probably wouldn't even have given it much attention. I've mentioned this a couple times before, but for those of you that don't know, I really love listening to video game music. I would say that I've listened to half of the soundtrack to this game pretty regularly, even before touching the actual game. That's how iconic the music is. For me, I compare it to the music in Contra. There's just something about it that helps propel you forward as the player, even if you find yourself being defeated over and over again. A good soundtrack can keep you moving forward, and that's what we have on offer here. Easily the best soundtrack on the NES, or at the very least, top three. The last notable thing about Batman's presentation are the scenes that happen between stages. While the game itself isn't based on the movie, like I said, a lot of the visuals are. Right when you start the game, you'll see the Batmobile that was used in the movie speeding down the streets of Gotham, and it looks glorious. Every now and then, we'll have an intermission where the Joker will egg the player onward. In some shots, the Joker looks like he did in the movie when portrayed by Jack Nicholson. The game's climactic ending is taken right from the movie as well and looks really good on the system. It's only a frame or two, but it's almost as if you're watching the movie itself. I mean, huge props to the developers for putting some of the visuals like this together. The original Nintendo had a lot of graphical potential, and developer Sunsoft did a really good job completing that visual aesthetic. Okay, so that pretty much covers the presentation. We're going to take on the first couple levels of Batman to see what it is the game really has in store for us, but before we do, we need to check out some of the tools in our utility belt. Literally. To me, I've always appreciated the weapons and gadgets that Batman brings with him for a fight. Batman for the NES gives us four different ways to attack our enemies. Combine those with Batman's acrobatic abilities, and we are more than equipped to take on Joker and his army of goons. 
So that being said, one of the things that I appreciate about this game is the fact that you have access to all of the game's weapons and abilities right from the start, and it's up to you to figure out how best to use them in certain situations. First up, Batman has his trusty Batarang. That's Batman's fancy way of saying boomerang for those that don't know. In terms of attack power, I think this is the weakest weapon that Batman has on him, but I find it to be one of the more versatile and useful ones. With a flick of his wrist, Batman will throw out a Batarang in front of him a little ways, and then it will come back towards him. The cool thing about this weapon is that it can hit an enemy multiple times going out and on the way back, making this thing useful on bigger enemies. And if it weren't cool enough, you can throw multiple Batarangs out at one time. Or at least as fast as you can press the button on your controller. I think the only enemies I have a hard time killing with these are those little, small robot things that the instruction manual calls the mobile trackers. When you're on the same plane as them, they'll come at you pretty quickly. So depending on where they are on a stage, I sometimes had a hard time getting a Batarang to connect with one due to their small size and their speed. Other than those enemies, the Batarang is a great weapon most of the time. Next, Batman has a spear gun. Now, it's my understanding that Batman in the comics doesn't use firearms, or at least he doesn't use them all the time. He uses them very rarely, apparently. So much so that they are extremely rare when he does use them from what I'm finding on the internet. So while the spear gun is a pretty useful weapon, it always seemed like an odd gadget for him to be wielding when it comes to him as a character. But I am also not the type to overanalyze too much. Really, the spear gun is a weapon you're going to need in order to beat at least one boss that I can think of. While the weapon is called the spear gun, it looks to me like it shoots little missiles that fly forwards. It's a fairly simple weapon. Lastly, Batman has the Dirk. The Dirk is a weapon that Batman throws forward that immediately splits into three projectiles and continues onwards. It operates almost like a shotgun blast and is great for hitting multiple enemies at once or it's great for hitting an enemy that's just out of reach of your other two weapons. There's one enemy type that's particularly annoying that the Dirk is great for. I think the instruction manual calls these pricks jaders, and they like to jump up and down and drop right on top of you. This can be extremely irritating, but you can use the Dirk against them just as they appear on screen and right before they start coming after you. I didn't use the Dirk all that often, but I made sure to save it mainly for these things. The last weapon Batman brings into battle is his fists. When no other gadget is selected, Batman will throw his fist out in front of him and damage an enemy. This sounds like a very basic maneuver, and it also sounds very weak, but punching is your most effective way to take out a good deal of enemies in this game. Pressing the attack button in quick succession will have Batman throw punches pretty quickly. Oh, and the best part about all of the attack methods that I just mentioned is that when you hit an enemy, they'll get stun-locked into place for a quick moment. Meaning, when you hit a goon, they'll stop moving and flash on screen for a hot second. If you can follow up with another attack fast enough, you can halt their progress and do enough damage to them to kill them outright without putting yourself in any immediate danger. 
What makes punching so much fun is the fact that it just feels so powerful. The way it stops a running enemy in its tracks and the sound the game makes when you strike someone really give Batman's punches some heft and some actual weight. You'll be punching enemies well into the last levels of the game, and it always feels good. Now, the best thing about Batman's ability to punch is that his fists don't use ammunition. You can just punch to your heart's content. The rest of Batman's gadgets, though, more or less require ammo to use. If you don't have any or you run out, then you're stuck with your fists as your only means of attacking. When you defeat an enemy, there's a chance it'll drop a power-up icon that has a missile on it. The instruction manual calls this a pellet item, and picking it up gives Batman 10 pellets. I'm sure there's a great reason to call ammo in the game pellets, but I don't know what that is, so I'm just going to use ammo going forward as the terminology here. So grabbing an ammo power-up gives you 10 ammo. Using one batarang uses up one ammo, firing your spear gun uses two ammo, and using the dirk uses three ammo. You'll want to do your best to keep as much ammo on you as you can in order to be able to use Batman's weapons at any time depending on the situations you find yourself in. So with that, we've covered everything Batman has in his utility belt. He has one more useful skill that we're going to need to master to see ourselves through, though. However, we're going to have to learn that move on the fly. Joker's goons are running amok all over the streets of Gotham, and we are running out of time. Right now, it's time for us to act. Let's boot the game up and begin our mission to save the city. Batman slowly fades in on the left side of the screen, and he looks absolutely incredible on the NES. You can almost make out Michael Keaton's jawline if you look hard enough, it's that detailed. The title screen appears and we're met with the only option we have, push start. When we do, the screen fades to black and we're immediately taken to a scene showing the Batmobile speeding down the streets of Gotham. The Batmobile is modeled after the one in the movie and it looks really slick. We see it from the front and then from behind as it comes to a stop. Once it stops moving, Batman hops out and prepares for a fight. The game officially begins and we're taken to the first stage. Batman lands on the ground performing your standard issue superhero landing, and control is given to the player. Alright, it's time to fight some crime. Let's use the skills that we've learned up to this point to kick some ass. We press right on the directional pad and Batman moves in that direction. Almost right away, the first of Joker's henchmen appear on screen and make a run towards Batman. Once he gets close enough, we lay a few punches into him and that's all it takes to defeat him. Once defeated, he drops an item that has the letter B on it. We pick it up and we aren't too clear as to what that actually did for us. It took me a while to figure it out, but those B items, or bonus items, the instruction manual calls them, just add bonus points to your overall score, which you can see if you hit the pause button. I don't know about you, but I never cared for getting a high score in most of the games I've played, so this power-up is effectively useless for me. Either way, we grab it and move on. It doesn't take long for another goon to show up and start running at us, so we teach him the same lesson we taught his friend a moment earlier and rearrange his jawline with a couple punches to the face. 
Once he's defeated, he drops an item with a little missile on it. Ah, our first ammo pickup. When we grab this, we now have 10 ammo that we can use with any of our three gadgets. The Batarang, the Spear Gun, and the Dirk. Pressing the Start button on the controller will cycle through these weapons. At the top left-hand side of the screen, you'll notice the word Batman, and underneath that is Batman's health meter. The health meter is self-explanatory. You lose health as you take damage, and when you run out of health, it spells curtains for the Caped Crusader. Now, when we press start and cycle through our weapons, the word Batman will be replaced with whatever gadget that we have equipped. There'll be a symbol of the gadget on the left, and then a number on the right. That number is our ammo count. Since you can only press start to cycle through your weapons, and you can only go forward in the cycle and not go backwards, it can be a little cumbersome selecting the weapon you want on the fly, so you have to keep that in mind when you're in the heat of battle. In this case, since our ammo count is still pretty low, we opt to save it and go back to using our fists. When the word BATMAN is showing, that's when you've unequipped everything and your attack button will have Batman Punch. Alright, let's move on. The next enemy that we come across is that mobile tracker enemy I mentioned earlier, that short, fast-moving little robot that starts moving towards us really quick. We press down on the directional button to have Batman crouch and throw a few punches into the machine. All it takes is two, and it's out of commission. A quick tip for those little guys, you don't actually have to crouch to hit them, you can punch them while standing. It took me a while to learn that, and it's really helpful once you do, so you can thank me later, friend. As we continue on, we come across a new enemy. He's crouched down and looks to be in a full-body protective suit. And what's that he has in his hands? Ah, looks like a flamethrower! The goon shoots flames out in front of him and will absolutely do damage to us if we touch it. Now while the flame does dissipate from time to time, and we can certainly use that opportunity to get close and lodge our fist into this guy's skull, we decide to opt for a safer approach. Pressing the start button, we cycle to the Batarang. We stand outside the flamethrower's reach and toss one at our foe. It does damage when it makes initial contact, and it does additional damage as it flies back towards Batman. Nice. We toss a second Batarang, and that does the trick. Scratch one bad guy, and we didn't even have to put ourselves in close contact to do it. The spear gun or the dirt could have also been used here, but that's the beauty of the game. It's up to you on how you use what you have at your disposal. The rest of the stage is pretty straightforward. There's a couple ledges you can jump on, but the path to the end is quick. It's a good introductory level to get you started and get you comfortable with the game's controls. However, in the next section of the first stage, we'll get to learn how to use our most important platforming skill, the wall jump. In this next area, we get to a point where we can no longer move to the right. There's several platforms that zigzag upwards, but on each of them crouches one of those flamethrower goons. We can absolutely take them on by jumping into them while fist flying, but there has to be a safer way. Just before the very end of this area, there's a long shaft going upwards. Using the wall jumping ability, we can scale that shaft and make it to the top of the area and bypass all those flamethrower enemies in the process. How do we wall jump? Simple, my friend. 
When Batman is in the air and he's next to a solid object, like a wall in this case, pressing the jump button again will have Batman grab onto the wall for a moment, he'll automatically turn his body around, and then jump in the opposite direction. All you have to do is rinse and repeat. It's a move very similar to Ninja Gaiden on the NES, where Ryu can wall jump to higher platforms. The major difference here is that you could hold yourself onto the wall in Ninja Gaiden, but in Batman, he'll immediately turn around and jump on his own. While I haven't played Ninja Gaiden yet, and I can't speak to how the game controls, I love the wall jumping in Batman because of how easy it is to do. You don't have to worry about pressing multiple buttons to hang on or anything like that. Just press the jump button, then jump again. And don't worry if you fall from a great height. From what I remember, you don't take any fall damage, so if you fuck it up, you can just try again. While the first stage isn't really all that involved when it comes to platforming, it really starts to ramp up when you get to stage 2. And that's where we're going to be wall jumping a lot. It all has a purpose, though, as you'll need to be a wall-jumping master by the end of the game if you want to see the credits roll. Now, before we can check out Stage 2, though, we need to take out the boss at the end of Stage 1. There's a boss battle at the end of every stage, and at the end of Stage 1, we have the Killer Moth. Now, I know fuck all about a mass majority of DC characters, but I do know that Killer Moth is a bona fide DC character. Pretty sure he was not in the 1989 movie, but that's okay. He makes a worthy first boss in this game. When the battle begins, we find ourselves in front of Gotham City Hall. While the background looks absolutely beautiful in all of its 8-bit glory, we don't have much time to enjoy it as Killer Moth immediately descends upon us. This fight can be pretty complicated if you don't know what you're doing, but like most boss battles, all you really need to do is identify the boss's attack pattern, and you'll get a huge leg up in the battle. Killer Moth really only has two attacks in this battle. He'll be flying in the air the whole time, but alternate from the top left-hand side of the screen to the top right-hand side. While in the air, he'll shoot down several blue fireballs towards Batman. These are easily avoided since Killer Moth shoots them in the exact same places every single time, but where he can get dangerous is when he swoops down and tries to strike you. It's during this attack that you're able to damage Killer Moth if you're quick enough, so this is what you want to be on the lookout for. When he moves, he moves pretty fast, so it's best to have your finger on the attack button and be ready to strike at all times. I personally found the Batarang to be the most effective weapon here, so be sure to enter this battle with plenty of ammo to use. With enough timing and patience, you should be able to defeat Killer Moth with no issues. Once you do, there's no fanfare or victory pose to strike. We immediately continue our search for the Joker by moving on to Stage 2, the Axis Chemical Factory. This is where the platforming in the game really starts to pick up. Not only are we going to need to navigate some tricky platforms, the caustic chemicals of the factory are going to be a threat too. Moving forward, the environment can be just as much of a threat to Batman as the enemies that are trying to kill him. Later in this stage, parts of the floor, walls, and even the ceiling are electrified to boot. Now in my opinion, Stage 2 is where Batman on the NES really starts to get good. 
Some of the best games out there combine several gameplay elements to create a robust experience while never focusing too much on one thing or the other. In this game, it's that balance between the platforming aspects of the game and the combat. As we move to the second stage, we have to take what we learned about the combat in the first stage and combine them with the platforming sections coming up. The first area has us navigating over several pits of chemical waste that'll do damage to Batman if we fall into it, or let the little drops of it land on top of us from above. The platforms over the chemical pool vary in size, and some of them are incredibly small, requiring us to be pretty precise with our jumps. Batman controls pretty well while he's jumping, and you have some fluidity in how you move him in midair, but he's not as tight a jumper as, say, a Contra game would go, so you need to bear that in mind as you're platforming in this area. Really, the thing that you need to remember here is, there's no timer on any of these levels. You can take your time, and you're certainly encouraged to do so. As we move to the right, we're again forced to go back to the left and upwards. It's at this point the game starts putting enemies on the smaller platforms that we need to jump on. Like most other games in this time period, getting hit will knock us back, and we don't want to get pushed off a platform and fall into the chemical suit below. We'll need to dispatch our enemies effectively. Now, we can time our jumps so that we get to the platform with punches flying, and that can certainly work, but if you have a good supply of ammo, a well-timed batarang or spear gun shot will certainly help us out here. However we decide to take our enemies out as we go, it's the second part of this stage that teaches us one more vital maneuver that'll be needed to complete this game. In the second part of Stage 2, we come across parts of the environment that are electrified, so we'll need to take our time and not touch any of these areas. Like I mentioned before, the floor, walls, and even the ceiling can be electrified, so we need to be careful when jumping from one platform to the next. We can tap the jump button to jump just a short distance, or we can hold it to jump higher and further. But there's going to be a few sections coming up that, no matter how high we jump, we'll never make it across the gap in the floor, and we'll land on that electrified panel 100% of the time. Just, how the hell do we get past these areas? Very simple. Using a technique that I have dubbed, the drop-down wall jump. Hopefully that makes immediate sense to those that have played this game before, but for those that have not, here's how it works. Batman doesn't have to be jumping up and towards a wall to be able to wall jump. He can fall down and, while falling, he can wall jump back upwards. That's what you have to be able to do in order to jump over some of the larger gaps like this. You tiptoe to the edge of the platform that you're on, fall off, but stay to the edge of the platform. Right before you fall past it, press the jump button and you'll wall jump in the direction that you need to go and further than if you were to have jumped normally. It's a pretty badass move and not very hard to pull off most of the time. Once you have this move mastered, you have everything you need to beat this game. Batman on the NES doesn't take too long to beat, but it will be a pretty hefty challenge to see the game through to the end. But like most other games, you'll get better and better if you put the time in and do your reps. And for what it's worth, that's one thing I really do like about this game. 
the difficulty doesn't just inflate to a crazy level right away. Each of the five stages gets progressively harder and harder, and it's a steady increase instead of a jarring one. Each stage takes what you just learned from the previous stages, incorporates that into its gameplay, and then adds one more thing for you to master until it culminates into that final encounter with the Joker. That doesn't sound all that exciting, I'm sure, and most video games probably should have a difficulty progression system like this, but I argue that not a lot of older NES games did difficulty like this. Really, once I sat back and really thought about it, Batman was not nearly as hard of a game as I thought it was going to be. Now don't get me wrong, this game is not at all easy, at least not at first. There are still going to be things that'll deal damage to you, or ways the game will punish you regardless of how good you are. But Batman is not as hard of a game as I think people think it is, and because of that, I really think you should give it a try if you never have. Especially if you were like me and shied away from it because you heard the game was so hard. There's a couple bosses that are pretty hard to deal with, though. The Electrocutioner boss at the end of Stage 3 uses attacks that I cannot seem to find a way to dodge. As long as I enter the fight with a full health bar and plenty of ammo, I'll just wail on him using Batarangs over and over, and by the time I only have two little health bars left, I'll have defeated him if I hit the attack button fast enough. It is a bit cheesy, but it works. Speaking of a bit cheesy, there's a fantastic way to increase your odds of survival in this game if you take the time to take advantage of it. When I finally beat the game, it was due to this technique right here. So the key to victory is to, well, stay alive, of course. You also want to make sure you have plenty of ammo so you can use your gadgets anytime you need them. Pretty much anytime you defeat an enemy, they'll drop either a bonus point power-up an ammo pickup, or a little heart I don't think I've mentioned up to this point. The hearts refill one bar of your health if you grab it. Naturally, you'll want to defeat enemies to get these drops, but wouldn't it be cool if there was an enemy that constantly spawned that you could easily farm for these power-ups to refill your health and ammo? Well, lucky for us, there is. Starting in the second stage and all the way to the end of the game, you'll start to come across these mechanical domes attached to the ceiling. When you get close, they'll start to drop bombs down towards you. When they hit the ground, they don't explode, but instead they move towards you in order to explode and deal damage. If you can destroy these bombs before they touch you, they'll drop items just like the regular enemies do. The best part, the bombs won't stop coming, so you can just pop a squat, keep throwing punches, and take out a bunch of these things in order to get ammo and health drops. They are perfect for restocking and continuing on. This method is almost required to make sure you have enough ammo and health when taking on the boss at the end of each stage. When taking on the Electrocutioner I mentioned before, you need to make sure you have a full health bar for this fight in order to win, and this method is how I ensured that. Once I learned this, it changed the game for me completely. I used my gadgets more often, thus making areas of the game that much easier. It can be a bit boring to sit there and repeatedly farm this enemy, though. Health power-ups seem to drop very infrequently, so you spend a few solid minutes just tapping your attack button, waiting for one to drop. 
it really does kill the pacing of the game, so just bear that in mind if this is something that you want to do. The stakes aren't really all that high, though. If you lose all of your lives, you have the option of continuing in the stage you're in, and your continues are unlimited. You'll find yourself having to replay much of the game this way as you work to master it, but at least this way you won't lose a ton of progress. The only downside I can think of is that if you shut the game console off and restart, you'll have to restart from the very beginning. Not the worst thing, but there's no password system or level select secret code that I'm aware of. As we wind this one down, I don't think I have too much more to say about Batman. I was very impressed with this game from start to finish, and I didn't find myself getting all that frustrated when I wasn't able to complete an area or had to retry a stage. Some of the boss battles can be pretty unforgiving, especially that last battle with the Joker. Fun fact to share while I was researching this game a bit. At the end of the last stage before you fight the Joker, you fight an enemy known as Firebug. I'm pretty positive he's a character in the DC comic universe. The instruction manual has a small bio on him that reads, The Joker's most trusted bodyguard wants revenge on Batman for personal reasons. Batman defeated his brother, so Firebug will stop at nothing to kill Batman. He can emit 600 million degrees Celsius fireballs that will instantly dissolve anything into atomic pieces. He is definitely Batman's most powerful enemy besides the Joker. <laughs> this one always made me chuckle. According to the internet, the sun itself is about 15 million degrees Celsius at its core, so I love that Firebug can harness 600 million degree fireballs. But whatever, it's a video game, right? But back to Firebug himself. When the game was being made, the development team made it to where Firebug was the final boss of the game. And once you defeat him, you'll see the cutscene at the end of the game where Batman tosses Joker off the side of the Gotham City Cathedral. Before the game was finally released, however, they changed it to where Joker was made into the final boss. I can only imagine someone along the way was like, This is a Batman video game, and the Joker isn't the final boss? The fuck is wrong with you? Fix it! So once you defeat Firebug in the final version of the game, you regain a little bit of your lost health, and then you face off against the Joker. The battle itself is pretty hard, especially because the Joker's gun does significant damage to you, and he uses it quite often. You have to jump over his bullets, but also dodge the lightning bolts that the Joker throws down on you. Lightning bolts, you might be wondering? Yes, lightning bolts. The Joker fight feels like it was a ripoff of another game because it just feels really out of place. But I have to imagine that adding him to the game at the last minute requires the developers to just slap something quick together to make it work, but it is what we got. However you want to look at it though, the Joker is a worthy challenge and if you can defeat him, you'll have certainly earned your victory. So as we wrap it all up, Batman for the NES has become a game that I'm extremely proud to have played. It's certainly a game that can hold its own today, and it's a game that anyone who is into retro games should try. The gameplay experience throughout is very solid, and with how the game adds layers of challenge as you go in a way that's very well paced, 
it's a great game for anyone to be able to pick up and play without getting immediately crushed by that typical hard NES tough difficulty. This game really captures the very essence of being Batman, by affording you multiple ways to deal with your enemies and giving you the ability to really be a superhero by using moves like the wall jump. You feel powerful, especially when you're throwing hefty punches or letting loose a barrage of batarangs. And while you're almost certain to taste defeat at some point, I can't think of a time that I quit the game due to any sort of setback. I was always eager to get back into the fight so I could find a way to defeat that one enemy who got the better of me, or learn how to be a little bit more precise with my platforming. And while all of this is going on, you're being pushed along by an amazing musical score, one that will stick with you long after you return safety to the streets of Gotham City. So I encourage you all to don the cape and cowl and take to the streets in this game. I can almost guarantee that after a few times playing this game, you'll stand a little taller, walk a little straighter, and you'll definitely jump at the chance to save the city anytime you see that bat signal high up in the sky. We've come to the end of episode 24 of the Retro Wildlands, Batman, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you very much for listening to the show today. I really enjoyed having you with us on our Wildlands expedition today. Batman was a great game to finally get my hands on and play, and I encourage you to give it a try if you haven't. The wall-jumping mechanic alone is enough to solidify this game's longevity. Well, that and the amazing soundtrack. You don't need to be a Batman fan to get hooked on this classic. All you need is a sense of adventure and a love for good video games. I can almost guarantee that I'll pop this one in from time to time moving forward. Even though the game can get pretty difficult, I always had fun playing this game whenever I did. And that's something you should never take for granted, my friends. If you like the show, please consider following us on your preferred podcasting platform. If you made it through the show and got to this point, I have to assume that you somewhat liked the show, or at least tolerated its existence. If that's the case, I'd appreciate it if you left us a good review if you liked what you heard. Good reviews help circulate the podcast around and should help us grow. Another way to support me in the show is to spread the word about the Retro Wildlands to your friends and family. Better yet, support the show the next time you find yourself at the gym. Now that everyone's going to be going to the gym, fulfilling their New Year's resolutions of losing weight and getting swole, it's a great time to talk to them about the Retro Wildlands in between each of their supersets. Not only will you be giving some random strangers something new to listen to in 2023, if they don't want to listen to you, they might just leave that machine that you've been waiting to use, so it's a win-win. 
One more quick social media plug before we shut it down this week. You can find us over on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram if you search at Retro Wildlands. Feel free to come and check us out. If you follow the show, I'll do my best to follow you back. The most useful thing about being part of our social media channels is that I'll post something on the weekends, letting you know what game that I'll be covering for the show on the next episode. Plus, I'll give anyone who wants to a way to submit comments or questions to the show, which I'll read and respond to during that show's intro. And like I mentioned in the intro to this show, I'm starting to slowly port older episodes of the podcast onto our YouTube channel, so feel free to check us out over there. Eventually, I'd like to put some game reviews up on the channel and even see if I can post some entertaining Let's Plays. I'm always playing games to prep for the show already, so why not record myself while I do it? No timeline on any of that particular type of content, but I figure if I talk about it enough, I'll commit to it and eventually make it happen. So, what's coming up next week? As I record this, I'm torn between doing an episode on Castlevania 3 and doing one on Devil May Cry. Nobody asked for either of these episodes, so I'm just going to go with what my heart wants. I've put more time into Castlevania 3, and that's the game that's kind of in the forefront of my mind right now, but I would like to go back and revisit Devil May Cry just to bring back all the old memories, so we'll have to see where I land. Or it's very possible that something else may catch my eye altogether and take us all by surprise. These are the wonders that are the Gaming Wildlands, my friends. We may have a destination in mind when we set off on one of our expeditions, but you never know what we'll come across. And that is a beautiful thing. I hope you join us next week as we set out again in search of something familiar or find something brand new to discover. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. 